Scripture reading this morning is going to be in the book of Acts, chapters 21 through 22. We're going to begin with uh, verse 37 of 21 and read down through verse 29 of chapter 22. If we could all stand together for the reading of God's Word. I'll read these verses for us if you just want to follow along. Beginning with Acts 21, verse 37. As Paul was about to be brought into the barracks, he said to the tribune, May I say something to you? And he said, Do you know Greek? Are you not the Egyptian then, who recently stirred up a revolt and led the 4,000 men of the assassins out into the wilderness? Paul replied, I am a Jew from Tarsus in Cilicia, a citizen of no obscure city. I beg you, permit me to speak to the people. And when he had given him permission, Paul, standing on the steps, motioned with his hand to the people. And when there was a great hush, he addressed them in the Hebrew language, saying, Brothers and fathers, hear the defense that I now make before you. And when they heard that he was addressing them in the Hebrew language, they became even more quiet. And he said, I am a Jew, born in Tarsus in Cilicia, but brought up in this city, educated at the feet of Gamaliel according to the strictest manner of the law of our fathers, being zealous for God, as all of you are this day. I persecuted this way to the death, binding and delivering to prison both men and women, as the high priest and the whole council of elders can bear me witness. From them I received letters to the brothers, and I journeyed toward Damascus, to take those also who were there and bring them in bonds to Jerusalem to be punished. As I was on my way, and drew near to Damascus, about noon a great light from heaven suddenly shone around me, and I fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to me, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And I answered, Who are you, Lord? And he said to me, I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom you are persecuting. Now those who were with me saw the light, but did not understand the voice of the one who was speaking to me. And I said, What shall I do, Lord? And the Lord said to me, Rise and go into Damascus, and there you will be told all that is appointed for you to do. And since I could not see because of the brightness of that light, I was led by the hand by those who were with me and came into Damascus. And one Ananias, a devout man according to the law, well spoken of by all the Jews who lived there, came to me and standing by me said to me, Brother Saul, receive your sight. And at that very hour I received my sight and saw him. And he said, The God of our fathers appointed you to know his will, to see the righteous one and to hear a voice from his mouth, for you will be a witness for him to everyone of what you have seen and heard. And now why do you wait? Rise and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on his name. When I had returned to Jerusalem and was praying in the temple, I fell into a trance and saw him saying to me, Make haste and get out of Jerusalem quickly, because they will not accept your testimony about me. And I said, Lord, they themselves know that in one synagogue after another I imprisoned and beat those who believed in you. And when the blood of Stephen, your witness, was being shed, I myself was standing by and approving and and watching over the garments of those who killed him. And he said to me, Go, for I will send you far away to the Gentiles. Up to this word they listened to him. Then they raised their voices and said, Away with such a fellow from the earth, for he should not be allowed to live. And as they were shouting and throwing off their cloaks and flinging dust into the air, 
the tribune ordered him to be brought into the barracks, saying that he should be examined by flogging to find out why they were shouting against him like this. But when they had, they had stretched him out for the whips, Paul said to the centurion who was standing by, Is it lawful for you to flog a man who is a Roman citizen and uncondemned? When the centurion heard this, he went to the tribune and said to him, What are you about to do? For this man is a Roman citizen. So the tribune came and said to him, Tell me, are you a Roman citizen? And he said, Yes. The tribune answered, I bought this citizenship for a large sum. Paul said, But I am a citizen by birth. So those who were about to examine him withdrew from him immediately. And the tribune also was afraid, for he realized that Paul was a Roman citizen and that he had bound him. Our Father and our God, we ask now for your blessing to be added to the reading of your word. Give us clarity and insight as we seek to uh, learn and, and grow from what it is that the Holy Spirit would have for us today. Pray that you'd give everyone in this room ears to listen, uh, hearts to believe, and the willingness to obey everything that your word commands. In the name of Christ we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Well, we are in Acts 21 and 22 this morning, uh, picking up where we left off last week with the arrest of the Apostle Paul. Uh, he is in Jerusalem at the temple, and a mob has attacked him on the basis of a false accusation, although uh, most of the people involved in this mob really didn't even know uh, what they were attacking Paul about. In the middle of all that confusion and violence as the crowds have begun to beat Paul, uh, Roman soldiers show up and they put a stop to the chaos. Uh, they arrest Paul, assuming he had to have done something wrong in order for them to be this upset with him. And as we'll see in a minute, the leader of the soldiers, referred to as the Tribune, believed that Paul was an Egyptian assassin, basically a terrorist. Uh, there had been an attempted insurrection in those days in Jerusalem around AD 54, so uh, just a few months, maybe as much as a year before. Um, and an Egyptian man had come to the city claiming to be a prophet, and he gathered uh, thousands of followers to himself and said, we're going to go into Jerusalem, overthrow the Roman government, we're going to take over the city. Uh, the Roman governor Felix found out about this, and he put a stop to it, arrested uh, many of that group. But the leader had escaped, that Egyptian man. And so uh, the tribune sees the crowd beating Paul here at the temple grounds, and his first thought was that they must have found that Egyptian insurrectionist leader. So they've arrested Paul at this point. They bound him with chains, and now they're taking him away from the crowds, actually carrying him uh, in order to keep him safe from the people who are clawing after Paul, trying to kill him. And at this point, as Paul is about to be taken from the view of the crowd, he asks permission to speak to the people. Uh, we pick it up in verse 37 of our text. Paul was about to be brought into the barracks, and he said to the tribune, May I say something to you? And he said, Do you know Greek? Are you not the Egyptian then who recently stirred up a revolt and led the 4,000 men of the assassins into the wilderness? So he see, when he hears that Paul is speaking in Greek, he knows uh, this is an educated man, uh, not the violent insurrectionist that he thought he was. Verse 39, Paul replied, I am a Jew from Tarsus in Cilicia, a citizen of no obscure city. I beg you, permit me to speak to the people. When he had given him permission, Paul, standing on the steps, motioned with his hand to the people. And when there was a great hush, he addressed them in the Hebrew language. Uh, so speaking to the Roman official, Paul speaks Greek, uh, the language of the educated class in that day. Uh, when he turns to speak to the Jews, he addresses them in their native language, uh, which would probably be Aramaic, the language of the Hebrews. 
Paul says to them, beginning in verse 1, Brothers and fathers, hear the defense that I now make before you. Uh, Notice the tenderness of the Apostle Paul. He addresses this crowd of people who were beating him uh, moments before trying to kill him. And he refers to them as his brothers and fathers. Uh, There's a tremendous respect and grace in Paul's words, even just in in the fact that he wants to speak to them. He doesn't yell at them. He doesn't rebuke them in anger like I probably would. Uh, He doesn't even uh, try to just get away from them, get into safety and and leave the crowds. just, Just leave me alone. That wasn't Paul's attitude. He wants these people who are mistreating him to be saved and to experience the grace of Christ. I wonder how well you or I would respond if a crowd of people was beating us like this. Would we be able to love them the way the Apostle Paul did? I think one of the great lessons of Christianity is to love people who hate you. Sometimes it's the people we extend uh, the most of our love to who then turn around and mistreat us the worst. Uh, Jesus certainly experienced that. One of his own closest friends, one of his own apostles, betrayed him. The crowds screamed for his blood in Jerusalem after three years of doing nothing but good to them, feeding them, healing the sick, raising the dead. Sometimes Jesus would stay up all night healing the various people who were brought to him. And after all of that, his own people killed him. And then what does Jesus say as he's dying on the cross? Father, forgive them. He loves those even as they're mistreating him. Stephen, earlier in the book of Acts, displayed a similar love as he was being stoned to death. In his dying, he prays and asks God not to hold this sin against the people. And one of those who was standing there that day involved in the execution of Stephen was a young man named Saul. And now here we are 20 years later, and that man, Paul, is extending love and grace to people who are mistreating him. It's one of the hallmarks of Christianity to love those who treat you poorly. Uh, Listen to the words of Jesus way back in Luke chapter 6. He said, But I say to you who hear, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who abuse you. How good are you at loving your enemies? Uh, When was the last time you did something good for somebody who hates you? When was the last time you blessed someone who cursed you or prayed for someone who abused you? Verse 29, Jesus continued, To the one who strikes you on the cheek, offer the other also. And from one who takes away your cloak, do not withhold your tunic either. Give to everyone who begs from you, and from one who takes away your goods, do not demand them back. And as you wish that others would do to you, do so to them. If you love those who love you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. Jesus says, big deal if you love people who reciprocate your love. Everyone does that. It's easy to love someone when they love you back. But what about the people whom you love and they respond with hate. The people that take advantage of your grace and love toward them, they respond by mistreating you. How good are you at continuing to love them anyways? Jesus continues in verse 33, If you do good to those who do good to you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. If you lend to those from whom you expect to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners to get back the same amount. But love your enemies and do good, and lend, expecting nothing in return. 
and your reward will be great, and you will be sons of the Most High, for he is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. Jesus says, you are never more like God than when you are kind and loving to ungrateful and evil people. When you bless and do good to those who mistreat you and take advantage of you time and time again. That's Christianity. Our natural sinful hearts want to cut those people out of our life. That's the natural response. If someone, if I love someone, if I do good to someone, if I lend to someone and they don't give it back, my natural inclination is to say, that's it. I'm done loving you. I'm done doing good to you. You keep taking advantage of me. You keep slapping me on the cheek. Time for you to get slapped back. But that's not the way of Jesus. He says, turn your other cheek to them and let them slap you again. Keep loving. Even when they take advantage of you, love unselfishly. When you keep pouring yourself out in love to them and they keep mistreating you in return, that's Christ-like love. And in a culture as self-centered as ours, where we prioritize uh, self-care and just doing what's best for me, this kind of love is a radical display of Christ in us. Back to our text, Paul has turned to the crowds of people. They're screaming for his blood. He motions to them to be silent that he wants to speak. And in what follows, Paul gives them his defense. And just so we're clear about what he's saying here, the Jews are upset with Paul because of his reputation of accepting Gentiles and uh, seemingly forsaking his Jewish identity. Uh, That's what they think of the Apostle Paul. They see him as far too friendly with these outsiders, not really uh, dedicated and committed to Judaism. And so in the speech of Paul, he defends himself against those accusations. First, he explains to them that he is a Jew. He is a follower of Jesus who is the Jewish Messiah. So he hasn't abandoned his Jewish faith. He's carried it forward into Christianity as Jesus is the continuation of Judaism. Secondly, Paul defends his actions in regards to the Gentiles by explaining that none of what he's done has been his own idea. God is the one who told him to go to the non-Jews and preach the gospel to them. And so that's the overall structure of Paul's defense we're going to read here. Uh, He's making those two basic points. He begins by giving them his credentials as a zealous and devout Jew. Uh, Verse 1, he says, Brothers and fathers, hear the defense that I now make before you. When they heard that he was addressing them in the Hebrew language, they became even more quiet. And he said, I am a Jew, born in Tarsus in Cilicia, but brought up in this city in Jerusalem educated at the feet of Gamaliel according to the strict manner of the law of our fathers, being zealous for God as all of you are this day. So he begins by saying to them, basically, I was one of you. I was educated here in Jerusalem by Gamaliel, the leading teacher of Jewish law in that day. Paul was a Pharisee in his former life, a very strict Jew. Verse 4, he continues, I persecuted this way, speaking of Christianity, to the death binding and delivering to prison both men and women, as the high priest and the whole council of elders can bear me witness. From them I received letters to the brothers, and I journeyed toward Damascus to take those also who were there and bring them in bonds to Jerusalem to be punished. So Paul says to them, not only was I one of you as a devout Jew, but I had your same attitude toward Christianity. I vehemently opposed it. I I get where you all are coming from, Paul says. 
Uh, You think you're being faithful to God by attacking these uh, Christian heretics. I used to be right there with you. In fact, I was the leader of the pack. Paul says, I was so zealous for Judaism and so violently opposed to Jesus and his followers that I used to travel with permission from the high priest to go capture Christians wherever I could find them and bring them back in chains to Jerusalem so they could be put on trial and executed. So he's explaining to them that he used to be just like them. Uh, The anger, the violence that they're expressing toward Paul, he used to have that same attitude toward Jesus' followers. And then all of a sudden, Paul became a Christian. He joined the religion that he was trying to stamp out of existence. Uh, How do you explain that? How does someone like Paul suddenly do a complete 180 on his way to Damascus uh, to imprison Christians? He instead ends up joining their church. And Paul tells them how it happened, the only way it could have happened. He saw Jesus. Verse 6, as I was on my way and drew near to Damascus about noon, a great light from heaven suddenly shone around me. I fell to the ground and I heard a voice saying to me, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And I answered, who are you, Lord? And he said to me, I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom you are persecuting. Now those who were with me saw the light, but did not understand the voice of the one who was speaking to me. And I said, what shall I do, Lord? The Lord said to me, rise and go into Damascus, and there you will be told all that is appointed for you to do. You notice there in verses 8 and 10, Paul's first words as a Christian are two questions. Who are you, Lord? And what shall I do, Lord? That's pretty much all of what the Christian life is, learning more and more who the Lord is and what he would have you to do. When you open your Bible to read, ask God to show you who he is what he would have you to do. When you come to church, come with a desire to know the Lord more and learn more of his ways for your life. Now, Paul was on the right track right from the start with those first two questions. He's told by the Lord to go to Damascus where he will meet someone who will tell him everything that God wants him to do. And so in verse 11, Paul says, since I could not see because of the brightness of that light, I was led by the hand by those who were with me and came into Damascus. And one Ananias, a devout man according to the law, well spoken of by all the Jews who lived there, came to me. And standing by me, he said to me, Brother Saul, receive your sight. And at that very hour, I received my sight and saw him. And he said, The God of our fathers appointed you to know his will, to see the righteous one and to hear a voice from his mouth. For you will be a witness for him to everyone of what you have seen and heard. Uh, Paul is stressing to them in these verses that he has not abandoned Judaism nor the God of the Jews. He says it was the God of our fathers who appointed me to see Jesus, his righteous one, and to be a witness and an apostle for him. The God of Israel, Paul says, is the the very one who sent Jesus. Jesus is the Messiah that our scriptures prophesied, the righteous one. And so, no, I haven't rejected Judaism. Jesus is the fulfillment of Judaism. And then Paul says, I haven't abandoned the Old Testament scriptures. They were pointing to Christ all along. Ananias, continuing to speak to Paul there in verse 16, he says, now why do you wait? Rise and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on his name. And so that wraps up the first section of the speech where Paul is explaining how he went from one who violently opposed 
Christianity to being a baptized disciple of Jesus. He hasn't rejected his Jewish faith. He stands in continuation with Judaism, worshiping the God of their ancestors and following the Messiah that their scriptures had foretold. Then Paul moves into the second point, uh, that these features that had changed from Judaism to Christianity, like including the Gentiles, that that wasn't his idea. He didn't just come up with that. He didn't decide one day, I'm going to go preach to the Gentiles and start receiving them into the kingdom of God. No, God told him to do this. This had been directly revealed to Paul from heaven. And so Paul says, in effect, through these verses, if you're upset with me for accepting non-Jews and fellowshipping with them in the church, take it up with God. I'm following his instructions. Beginning in verse 17, Paul gives us a record of a vision that he had from the Lord. Uh, Acts 22, verse 17, early in his ministry, he's in, he's in the, the temple in Jerusalem uh, praying, which, by the way, sort of reinforces the point he's making, that he hasn't rejected Judaism. Here he is, a brand new Christian, and the first thing he does is go to Jerusalem and pray in the temple. But he's there praying in verse 17, I had returned to Jerusalem, was praying in the temple, and I fell into a trance and saw him saying to me, Make haste and get out of Jerusalem quickly, because they will not accept your testimony about me. Now, as we'll see in the next verses, Paul had planned to stay in Jerusalem for some time. He wanted to preach the gospel of Jesus uh, to them. He figured that these people knew him. They knew that he was a devout Jew, uh, that he persecuted Christians. Surely, they would be persuaded if he, of all people, came to them claiming to have seen Jesus risen from the dead. He feels like he's got a great opportunity here to witness to these Jews and lead them to Christ. But that wasn't going to happen. As Jesus says to Paul in this vision, they will not accept your testimony about me, so leave Jerusalem quickly. Uh, Paul argues with the Lord a little bit in verse 19. He says, Lord, they themselves know that in one synagogue after another, I imprisoned and beat those who believed in you. And when the blood of Stephen, your witness, was being shed, I myself was standing by and approving and watching over the garments of those who killed him. So he's saying, in effect, I have this great testimony. Uh, They'll believe me. I'm one of them. When I tell them I've seen you alive, it will be persuasive to them. And and so Jesus says in verse 21, uh, Go, for I will send you far away to the Gentiles. And so God had a different plan for the Apostle Paul's life. And so the point is this. Paul is telling them, I didn't even want to do what I've been doing for the last several years. It was never my intent to go to these Gentile uh, countries and share the gospel with them and establish churches among non-Jews. My plan was to stay here in Jerusalem and to be a witness of Christ here among the Jews. The Lord told me to leave. I received these orders directly from heaven. And at this point in Paul's defense, he is interrupted. As soon as they hear Paul say that, Uh, God had sent him to reach the Gentiles. Uh, They're done listening to anything that he has to say. Verse 22, up to this word, they listened to him. Then they raised their voices and said, Away with such a fellow from the earth, for he should not be allowed to live. And as they were shouting and throwing off their cloaks and flinging dust into the air, the tribune ordered him to be brought into the barracks, saying that he should be examined by flogging to find out why they were shouting against him like this. And so the tribune, the leader of the, the Roman army is there. He's standing by. He can't understand Aramaic. Uh, and so all of a sudden, there's just people shouting and screaming. He doesn't know what all of this is about. 
And so he assumes that Paul has said something that would cause him to be so angry. And so he orders Paul to be brought inside, away from the crowds. And he tells his soldiers to flog Paul and to find out what what this was all about. Uh, Basically, they're going to torture him uh, until he talked and explained what he had done. Uh, Flogging by the Romans was a very gruesome type of beating. It involved a a whipping with uh, pieces of bone and metal embedded in the, the leather straps. Uh, very similar to how Jesus was whipped before the cross. It was not uncommon for people to die as they were being flogged, or at least to be crippled, uh, sometimes for life. Verse 25, as they were stretching him out for the whips, Paul said to the centurion who was standing by, Is it lawful for you to flog a man who is a Roman citizen and uncondemned? Uh, Answer, no. It was highly illegal. Uh, for the Roman government to flog a Roman citizen without giving them an opportunity to stand trial. Uh, So it would be sort of like similar in America, where we can't just uh, arrest someone and immediately start punishing them. Uh, No, they have an opportunity to stand trial, to give a defense, and uh, for for someone to adjudicate the case. And so Paul says, I'm a Roman citizen. Uh, You better be careful what you're doing here. You can't just beat me like this without giving me a trial. And this uh, Roman official who had ordered Paul's flogging, by the way, could be sentenced uh, to execution if such a thing was found out. And so they took this very seriously. Verse 26, when the centurion heard this, he went to the tribune and said to him, what are you about to do? For this man is a Roman citizen. So the tribune came out and said to him, tell me, are you a Roman citizen? And Paul says to him, yes. The tribune answered, I bought this citizenship for a large sum, probably meaning that he had purchased his citizenship with a bribe, and maybe he's skeptical uh, that Paul would be wealthy enough to be able to afford that. But Paul says to him, I am a citizen by birth. And so his parents were citizens as well. Verse 29, so those who were about to examine him withdrew from him immediately. And the tribune also was afraid, for he realized that Paul was a Roman citizen and that he had bound him. Uh, So he could get in trouble even just for putting Paul in chains like this, seeing as he was a Roman citizen. And so Paul avoids the flogging, he gets out of trouble, he pulls that little uh, citizenship card uh, right at the last minute and uh, is able to to, uh, go through the normal legal process. And so that legal process begins on this day. Uh, Paul will have an opportunity to stand trial before Roman uh, leaders and explain his actions. And it won't be until about four years later that he'll receive the final sentence Uh, All throughout this time, he'll be imprisoned, transferred a few times to different prisons. Uh, He'll stand trial before a few different uh, governors and leaders, and then eventually he's sent off to Rome, and that's where the book of Acts ends. But here in chapters 21 and 22, this is where the legal process begins as Paul is arrested. I want to circle back around now to the uh, testimony of Paul's conversion here and just point out a few points as we close this morning. Uh, Characteristics of genuine conversion to Christ. This is what it looks like when someone becomes a true follower of Jesus. First, we learn that conversion, uh, first of all, we learn, I'm sorry, from the conversion of Paul that Jesus saves even the worst of sinners. Listen again to Paul's description of his own life before he met Jesus. He says in verse 4, I persecuted this way to the death, binding and delivering to prison both men and women, as the high priest and whole council of elders can bear me witness. From them I received letters to the brothers, and I journeyed toward Damascus to take those also who were there and bring them in bonds to Jerusalem to be punished. 
Can you imagine such a man as, as Paul before his salvation? He would take men and women, taking mothers from their children. Anyone who was a follower of Jesus, Paul would arrest them. He would bring them to Jerusalem to be put to death. And we read in other places that uh, Paul always cast his vote in favor of their execution. He wasn't content with them just to even be imprisoned. If anyone was too far gone into sin for Jesus to save, it would have been the Apostle Paul. And yet, Christ forgave his sins and totally transformed his life. The one who had spent years killing Christians and opposing the church now preaches the gospel and starts churches. It's a testimony to the grace of God that he is willing and able to forgive even the worst of sinners. As Paul wrote in 1 Timothy chapter 1, this saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am foremost. Next, we learn from the conversion of Paul that salvation begins with knowing who Christ is. Paul's first question to the Lord when he saw him in that vision, in verse 8, was, Who are you, Lord? Jesus says to him, I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom you are persecuting. There is no salvation apart from knowing and following Jesus. As Jesus himself said in John 14, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Next, we learn from Paul's conversion that the heart of a true Christian is one that is in submission to the will of the Lord. Uh, We see this right away in Paul's life, immediately as he recognizes that Jesus Uh, is who he said he is, that he's risen from the dead. Paul says to to Christ in verse 10, What shall I do, Lord? That's repentance. Uh, Paul goes from opposing Christ and all of his followers to saying, What would you have me to do, Lord? He not only believes that Christ is risen, as he's seen him now, but Paul also is willing to obey whatever the Lord would tell him to do. And that heart of submission and surrender to the Lord is characteristic of all true converts to Christ. When you become a Christian, you not only receive Christ as Savior, you also receive Him as Lord. You become His servant. And then notice at the end of verse 10, the response of Jesus. Being asked what He is to do, the Lord says to Paul, Rise and go into Damascus, and there you will be told all that is appointed for you to do. Uh, Certainly, Paul had a unique uh, calling of God to be an apostle to the Gentiles and testify of how he had seen the risen Jesus. Uh, Most of us are not going to have that type of ministry, but all of us have things that we are appointed to do in service to the Lord. And so just like the Apostle Paul, from the moment of our conversion, uh, actually long before, before we were ever born, uh, the Lord has good works, things that he wants us to do in service to him. Paul writes in Ephesians chapter 2 that we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. And so just like how Paul was converted to Christ and God immediately told him, I have plans for you, I have things for you to do, that's true for each one of us. If you're a follower of Christ, the Lord has good works appointed for you. Again, it may not be as dramatic as the Apostle Paul traveling around the world, uh, starting dozens of churches, most of us don't have that kind of a calling, but all of us are called to live holy lives to be faithful to church, to love others, to tell the lost about Jesus. We all have works that God has appointed for us to do. 
And then lastly, we notice the example of Paul's conversion is the, the importance of baptism. I think it's noteworthy that Paul mentions that in his testimony. He doesn't just say, I became a follower of Jesus that day and leave it at that. He mentions specifically his baptism. Verse 16, Ananias says to Paul, Why do you wait? Arise and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on his name. Uh, baptism is the outward sign of one's faith and repentance. In baptism, we are confessing that we believe that Jesus died and rose again. That's what we picture uh, by going under the water and then coming back up again, the death and resurrection of Jesus. We're also committing our lives to Christ in baptism, dying to sin and rising to walk in newness of life. Uh, This is what conversion to Christ looks like. And Paul's conversion is perhaps the clearest example of the radical kind of transformation that Jesus can make in a person's life. Once a bitter and violent man filled with hatred for others, now Paul stands as a testimony to the grace of God, loving even those who hated and mistreated him. Only Jesus could make a change in a person's life like this.